this is Millie Long, one of the co-editors-in-chief of the American Journal of Gastroenterology, and we're thrilled to have you join us for this podcast. My guest today is Dr. Brennan Spiegel, who is Professor of Medicine and Public Health, as well as Director of Health Services Research at Cedars-Sinai, and in fact, a former editor of the American Journal of Gastroenterology, so now I get to turn the tables and have him as the guest uh, here today. Thanks for joining us, Brennan. Well, thanks for having me, and it's fun to be on the other side for this one. I know. It's great. This is fun. Now I get to ask you the questions. So, but this is a, such a unique topic and I'm thrilled to kind of kick off a, kind of a, a new way of thinking for many of our listeners. And so, you know, I'd really like to start with, tell us a little bit about an idea you had that ended up in a manuscript at American Journal of Gastroenterology. Yeah, well, good place to start. So this is a paper that I wrote that has to do with gravity. We all experience it. Our relationship to gravity is a little bit like a fish's relationship to water, right? A fish survives and thrives and is completely designed to move through water, but doesn't really even know it's in water, right? I, 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 don't, I can't get into the mind of a fish, but I'm going to guess it doesn't really think about the water that often. Well, we have grown and evolved to survive and thrive by living with and through gravity, a force so fundamental that we rarely ever even note its presence on, on our body. So that's what we'll talk about today and how the GI tract in particular, but also our neuropsychological evolution for living in 1G gravity may have something to do with conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, and many other conditions. And so I kind of thought of all of this uh, because, well, a family member has been in a nursing facility and I learned that they were developing a lot of GI distress, abdominal problems, pain, constipation, at about the same time that they were lying flat in bed for prolonged periods of time. And I started thinking a little bit about that. You know, we were not designed to lie flat in bed. Just like our patients are not designed. We take our the most vulnerable patients in the world and we lay them down flat for days and days and days. And then we're curious why they have bed sores and ileus and all sorts of issues. We evolved to stand up and our body is constantly being pulled down caudally towards the ground. And so that got me thinking more about this and we can go on and on. I'll, I'll stop there. That's my sort of introduction and then we'll evolve this a bit more. Right. Well, I mean, because it's intriguing, right? I mean, obviously you specialize in irritable bowel syndrome and I think many of us struggle with the best way to help our patients. And one of the problems is, is we don't really understand what the pathogenesis of IBS is. Talk us through what are some of those hypotheses and why is gravity potentially a more compelling um, hypothesis as to the pathogenesis? Yeah, and I'll, I will emphasize it's a hypothesis. So this is a thought experiment, I'm not coming in here trying to usurp any theories. Actually, what this paper tries to do is pull together all of these different theories about IBS under a single potential unifying explanation. So rather than usurp anything, it's, it's, it's sort of designed to explain everything at once. And so that's a, a, a big uh, ask. That's of a big a ask, yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what do we know about IBS? I mean, the thing that's so kind of perplexing about IBS is there are so many different theories about it um, that seem to be disparate. We know it's a disorder of gut-brain interaction. It has a strong overlap with psychological comorbidities. We know that neuromodulators and 
brain gut behavioral therapies are effective. But we also know that the gut microbiome clearly has something to do with this, very important factor. We know that bacterial overgrowth is common among people with, with uh, IBS. And microbiome you know, targeted therapies are effective, and so are low fermentable diets and so on. And then there's the whole theory about you know, dysmotility and visceral hypersensitivity and abnormal serotonin levels and dysregulated autonomic nervous system. And so then you throw in another layer to this that is complicated, is that the IBS is comorbid with everything from fibromyalgia to joint hypermobility syndromes, lower back pain, diverticular disease, postural tachycardia syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so you start to wonder, like, how can this all be true at the same time? And, and I, what I did here is looked at every single one of those things I just mentioned and tried to go back as far as I possibly can to a possible common underlying factor. And to sort of my surprise, I kept arriving back at gravity, which may sound obvious, but at the same time, maybe surprising. And so the paper really describes the physical ways that we manage gravity but also the neuropsychological ways. And just as a quick preview for that part of our discussion, gut feelings, something that we all, all experience. Well, there's one thing that reproducibly causes gut feelings in all humans, and it's literally a gravity challenge. It's literally falling. I mean, think about being on a roller coaster or in a turbulent airplane. It's not going up, it's falling down. By the way, falling in love also causes gut feelings, a metaphorical fall. <laughs> okay. So we'll talk about that too, but that's what this paper is all about. You know, that's really interesting. And as you were talking, I was having that feeling of coming down on a roller coaster where you feel like your stomach is left at the top. And it, yeah. yeah, no, I, I I get that. And, you know, and obviously some of these other kind of, I won't call them overlap because it, it but we do see irritable bowel syndrome, for example, more often in people with Ehlers-Danlos, for example. And certainly I see this overlap with POTS as well. And one of the things about a lot of these disorders is it's difficult for us as physicians to treat them because we don't necessarily understand the complete etiology. Is there any kind of link, whether it's targeting serotonin or anything else that could help us to understand how gravity might play a role? Yeah, for sure. So let me try to unpack that because a lot of- There are like 12 questions in one. So I'm yeah, yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, think about Ehlers-Danlos. So even before we talk about that, let's take a quick step back. So when we're standing up, right, there's this constant traction, all of our body systems, every single one of them, every strand in our body, every moment from our conception to our demise is managing this force of gravity. What is lower back pain if not gravity intolerance? What is heart failure if not gravity intolerance to fluidic movement, right? What is dizziness and vertigo if not a form of gravity intolerance? when the inner ear is constantly keeping track of our position in space in relation to gravity, our every body system is constantly keeping track and we don't want to fall. Like that's, that's a big purpose in life is to stay upright, not fall, which is why falling gives us the willies. Like we get scared if we're going to fall. That's why we have this gut accelerometer in a way in our, in our belly telling us that we're either falling or, or about to fall. But, but in a moment, I'll get to that. So you know, think about the physical systems first, right? So we have the mesentery, which is anchored to the lumbar spine. It's constantly, you know, pulling up traction against gravity. But what happens if there's something wrong with the mesentery? For example, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. 
This is a condition where we have abnormalities in collagen deposition. They have hypermobile joints and very stretchy mesentery. And so it's clear that these patients have visceroptosis where because of gravity and this stretchy mesentery, the intestines fall down lower than they should. It causes this kinking and that leads to dysmotility bacterial overgrowth. And it's kind of a model of IBS. It's certainly different from IBS, but these patients have also, by the way, a lot of postural orthostasis. What is that if not gravity failure? The baroceptor system in the aortic arch, which is hypersensitive in some patients with IBS and POTS and uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, is an anti-gravity function. And by the way, if it's off, guess what happens? You get catecholamine release, you get anxiety, tachycardia, okay? So it turns out a lot of these systems co-evolved to manage gravity. And it's, when you look at it this way, not too surprising that POTS and Ehlers-Danlos and IBS co-occur at such a high rate. And by the way, there's bacterial overgrowth seen in IBS and in Ehlers-Danlos for sure. Now, I'm not saying everyone with IBS is Ehlers-Danlos at all, but there's one study that suggests up to half of patients with IBS do have hypermobile joints. And there may be a spectrum in literally like the physical capability of the mesodermal derived systems to manage gravity. And some people are kind of better at that than others. And by the way, women tend to have more visceroelastic tendon and collagen systems than men, which kind of makes sense if there's going to be a gravid uterus pushing a lot of you know, organs around in the abdominal cavity and the pelvis, you need to have some flexibility. Does that partly explain differences in these conditions between men and women? These are all open questions. Mm -hmm. So that's the mesentery. Other things can go wrong in the mesentery, but all of this is also anchored with the spine, which is the chassis that holds everything up. The abdominal contents are like a sack of potatoes that we're destined to carry around our whole lives. And so some of us are more capable of hoisting and lifting that load than others. And if you've got lordosis, you've got lower back issues, you've got um, you know, kyphosis, vertebral fractures, it changes the morphology of the abdominal cavity. And it is itself associated with changes in motility, bacterial overgrowth, and so on. So the paper goes in a lot of detail but all these different physical anti-gravity systems and questions things like, why is lower back pain so common in IBS? Is it just that we're hypersensitive in general or is the actual physical morphology of the gut different in people with chronic lower back pain? What causes what in whom? There's so very little written about this. So the paper goes into some of these odds and ends. No, it's great. I mean, you're, 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 I'm buying in and I can see how kind of some of the, because of the body's reaction to gravity, in particular, how neuromodulators may be of benefit, you know, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. But, but let me ask you this, what are the intriguing hypothesis? What are the clinical implications? Do you think this right. might ultimately, how do we test this? How do we scientifically determine if this could be the etiology? And then what are the, what, what do we do with that in terms yeah. of um, treatment implications? So I didn't really uh, hit the serotonin part head on. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but so if you think now about serotonin, mm -hmm. which clearly is underlying IBS, some of our most effective yeah. medical therapies are serotonergic and underlies many other related conditions. There are abnormalities in many of the conditions, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, depression, and anxiety, all of these different conditions are related in some part, not entirely, but in some part to serotonin, which itself is a, is a pleiotropic hormone. It has a neurotransmitter, has effects throughout the body. 
But one thing that's clear is without it, we could not manage gravity. And in a way, it's possible that serotonin evolved as sort of a gravity management substance that, by the way, is mostly produced in the gut. And if that's true, then our gut is the beating heart of our gravity management systems. So why do I say that? I mean, what does serotonin allow? Well, without it, we could not move intestinal materials pretty much at all, and certainly not against gravity. We couldn't move blood, okay? So the vascular tension and even inotropic support in the setting of heart failure is very much serotonin related. There are many other factors. The vestibular nucleus is highly dependent upon serotonin, which is why some people that come off SSRIs too quickly get terribly dizzy and have all sorts of issues of balance. If you go through organ system by organ system, and the paper does this, it's clear that serotonin, which literally means protone, it is providing us tone. And it's found in most biological systems. The farther a biological system gets away from the ground, from plants on, on up, like the more serotonin seems to play a role in its biology. It may be that if we could take this a step further, IBS is a form of gravity failure. Depression, anxiety are forms of gravity failure. Okay, You're literally feeling down. I mean, we talk about it in our language even. I feel down, I'm in the dumps, I'm down. And literally that might be a form of gravity failure of serotonin abnormality. So targeting serotonin may be doing more than just moving the bowels. It works throughout every system I've talked about so far, including even the baroceptor reflex systems. It's incredibly interesting the deeper you get into what serotonin is doing within the body. Whether this has implications for IBD or other conditions is an open question. Does it matter, by the way, what latitude you live on? Because there are different G-forces across the globe. Is that going to explain in part why there are latitudinal changes in certain conditions like MS or IBD? Does it matter if you're at a high altitude or low altitude? I have patients that will go into the mountains and say they feel better. And I've always thought it was just from the beautiful forest. And then they come back down the hill and they feel worse. We know people get in airplanes and they have, you know, jet belly and abdominal pain and bloating and so on. So even slight changes in our experiences with G-forces can change our body. And it's in, in, in a mice model or maybe it was a rat model. Can't remember exactly. It's in the paper. Serotonin itself, the expression of it, is dependent upon the G-forces that the organism is experiencing. So when you start bringing all this together, it's like, is there something underneath all of this that we're missing? And why is it that exercise works so great for IBS? It does. Exercise, Tai Chi, working out your core is literally like going to help with that upright stability, the anti-gravity extensor muscles along the chassis that holds up the abdominal cavity. Is it just like well-being that you're exercising or is it actually doing something to your physical body structure so that you can manage gravity better? These are all, again, questions the paper suggests. So interesting. And, and you know, you brought up IBD. I, that's my specialty. And, you know, from an inflammatory perspective, this could be playing a role as well. It's interesting, you know, from an IBD perspective, They've actually done studies where you kind of biopsy someone at ground level. And if you go up in altitude, it actually promotes increased inflammation. Mm. And many of my patients tell me that when they get on an airplane, they definitely get worse. So whether the role of gravity also plays a role in inflammatory conditions, you know, certainly that may very well be the case. And you think about then what about astronauts, right? So you right. Know, listeners may be wondering about that. 
that's a microgravity environment. And by the way, they also get GI distress. They get all sorts of issues. I mean, they're, they're, their faces blow up, they get swollen because the fluidics are off and, and the pump systems are off. They have G GI symptoms quite commonly. When they turn the cameras off, some of them are not doing so great. And these are our most robust like people of our species that we're sending up there. It makes me wonder if we're going to make it to Mars, if like everyday people are going to go out into deep space and be able to manage it. We evolved with gravity. It's not a big surprising thing that like we need to live with gravity and gravity is important to us too. It's too much of it, too little of it throws us off. It's almost like a Goldilocks thing. And some of us are born physically and neuropsychologically to sort of manage different G-forces. That's what the hypothesis is anyway. But how do you test it? You mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've mentioned a few possibilities because these are all unknown. And in the paper, I put a list together of about 30 or 40 defined research projects that can be done to explore this. And I can only imagine creative people who know a lot more about this than I do may have many, many more ideas after reading the paper. For example, you mentioned how G-forces may affect, you know, inflammatory pathways. Well, what is that true of IBS? So is it true if do ser does serotonin expression change the top of a mountain versus the bottom at different latitudes? You know, we talk about vitamin D being a reason for latitudinal variations in some conditions, but G-forces are lowest at the equator, go up at the poles. Is it is that potentially related? So these are all many questions that could be answered on both basic science, translational, clinical, epidemiological levels. And it may be that none of this ends up being true or bits and pieces of it are kind of true. So I throw it all out there in this kind of bizarre paper that I've written. <laughs> well, and you've given us a really uh, such an interesting thought experiment and kind of a challenge to go out there and determine whether or not this hypothesis may actually be true. I think in the short term, you know, both from an IBD and an IBS perspective, exercise certainly has been shown to improve outcomes, um, mm -hmm. maintain remission, uh, improve IBS. And that in, in the short term, even implementing that as a recommendation from a core perspective, you know, to try to account for this hypothesis. If your patient comes to you, having heard this podcast or read your paper, Dr. Spiegel. You know, I certainly think that we need to encourage our listeners to open the pages of Red Journal and dig deep into this hypothesis that you've thrown out. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk about it. It's hopefully this gives enough excitement uh, or maybe curiosity or or uh, or incredulity to open the paper and take a look at it. Uh, as you mentioned, there are clinical app, you know, there is some clinical applicability. And in the uh, technical appendix, I go through in detail uh, different sort of profiles of patients. And I have a way of sort of dividing it up into three different factors, which we won't go into here in detail. but there's sort of G-force vigilance and G-force sensitivity and, 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 and the support structures, G-force resistance. And I made all this up, but it's based upon my integration of uh, a lot of literature that just hasn't been really pulled together in this manner. And in the appendix, I go through how I, I am now thinking about this. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm actually showing patients images of the mesentery, the cross-sectional image of the, of the anatomy of the spine and how close it is to the intestinal system. And patients get it. Like they now understand when I explain it this way, why exercise may in fact help their gut. And why is it that literally exercise can change the microbiota in the gut? I mean, that's been shown to some degree. So there's a lot more interrelationship here than I think we often think about. 
we're taught a certain way in certain paradigms, certain textbook ways of thinking about the world. But this is a way to hopefully break out a little bit and, and let creative minds take it from here. And uh, hopefully, uh, like I said, there's there's something in here worth worth pursuing. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Spiegel, for joining us for this podcast and, and really throwing out such an interesting, innovative paper. And I hope that many of our listeners will help to take the next step forward and try to better understand this hypothesis and, and across disease states. So thanks again for joining us and stay tuned for our next podcast from Red Journal. <laughs>